going to pick back up with where we left off, and where we've been going is connected to this larger series. And again, what we mentioned was that the, the early church had, a, had come to a decision about 15 years after the resurrection and ascension of Christ that they wanted to start taking the message of Jesus to places where it hadn't gone before. I'll put the map back up because, again, it gives us a great geographical understanding um, of sort of where things began. You see where Jerusalem is. You see the Mediterranean. This is the center of the world still to this day, right? This area joining the east and the west, um, the particular area we're going to be talking about was a unique land bridge, Asia Minor, Asia the Lesser, connecting the Asian and the European continents really in trade routes. This, is all, this was all real at that time as well. And one of the things we know is that you see there's two Antiochs up on the map. Um, the one Antioch, Antioch of Syria at the time, was probably the third greatest city in the Roman Empire. An amazing metroplex of people, gathers all different types, Jews and Gentiles. Many different types of ethnicities were living there. It was, a it was a really a combining of cultures. Out of that environment, the church sprouted up in a way that it had never sprouted before. It, it actually had, became a, there was a predominantly Gentile church for the first time. Up until this point, the, the Christian life, the, the followers of Jesus had, had been almost exclusively Jewish. Some Gentiles who had converted over to the Jewish faith, but for the most part, it was really sequestered to just one section of people. And, it, and there was a group in, the, in that church in Antioch who felt compelled to pray, felt stirred that the, Holy, that the Holy Spirit, they said, the Lord, they said, wanted them to send out a team for the first time for the express purpose of taking the good news of Jesus to places and regions and to people groups who'd never heard him before. That started the first movement, the first missionary journey. We know that they sent uh, two, they felt compelled to send two people, Barnabas and a man who at the time was known as Saul, had been a former fierce enemy of Jesus, a Pharisee, now had come, become full, really turned completely around and had become a committed, very committed and intense follower of Jesus and an early leader. Those two, Barnabas and Saul, are just said, we're going. Uh, they prayed over them. They, there was an assistant with them named John Mark. They go to the, from Antioch, we talked about this, to Cyprus. Cyprus, they have this amazing moment. They, when it's all said and done, they, they have this interview with the Roman governor, a man named Sergius Paulus. From that point on, Paul begins to identify himself as Paul. After this moment, this exchange, they say, okay, God's done an amazing thing here. The Roman governor of all people opened up his heart to Jesus. We couldn't have expected it. They said, what do we do next? Paul said, I feel God wants us to go into a place that I know initially looks really dangerous, but it's a place that is strategic. Um, it may be risky. That's true. And in fact, it was probably because of the risk factor that the assistant, the young man named John Mark, decided to go back home. So only Paul and Barnabas head into uh, this area, we call it Pamphylia, today it's modern-day Turkey. They head into that region, knowing that it's kind of untamed. Rome has nominal control, but it's dangerous. Um, and they knew the dangers, but they felt compelled to go. They felt like God was wanting them to push in that direction. And so they did, and we know that they traveled essentially from, you can see it, from Perga on the coast all the way up to Antioch of Pisidia. We talked about this last week. And what we mentioned was that they got into the, the first place that they would go, it was their custom. They would go into the synagogue. We talked about why they did that. You can listen to that online if you want, and the message is still there. Um, but we talked about the significance of why they would go to these synagogues as a starting place for sharing the message of Jesus. Okay, having said all of that, what ends up happening is initially there's this amazing receptivity, especially on the part of the Gentile community, who were believers in God. And then there's this uh, somewhat un unexpected 
opening, even among some of the, the, the Jewish members of the synagogue, as well as the Gentile community at large. But what happens is not everyone in the leadership feels good about it. We know that eventually there's kind of a counter movement and a riot occurs. And they're literally chased out of Antioch, Pisidia by a mob. Uh, they, were, they were being threatened violently, and they knew their lives were on the line, and so they ended up being run out of town. That's what ended up happening. And that brings us to this 14th chapter, Acts 14, verse number 1. And what we're told in verse number 1 is that the same thing that happened to them in Antioch, Pisidia, happened, then, then it happened to them again in Iconium. You can see where Iconium is there. It's 50 miles east. That's where they went. They get to Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the, to the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue, to preach with the such power that there was a great number of both Jews and Greeks that became believers. Some of the, the Jewish community, however, the brethren of, of Paul and Barnabas, did not receive that. They spurned God's messages and actually began to work against it. It says here, poison the minds of the Gentiles who were more open in the synagogue to believing Paul and Barnabas. But the apostles stayed there a long time preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. The older version says the word of grace. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power. And there was miraculous signs and wonders. So what happens is there's this really, again, an explosion of interest in the message of Jesus and a lot of movement at a spiritual level. But what we're told, if you were to continue reading, is that, and I just, this is not in the handout, but I asked them if they could put this up. Because what we're told in the fifth verse is that then, because inevitably what happened in Iconium was the same thing that happened to them earlier at Antioch Pisidia. We read, then a mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, decided to attack and stone them. And when the apostles learned of it, they fled to the region of Lyconia, Lyconia, to the towns of Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding area. And there they preached the gospel. Now, I, you know, when you're reading through the Bible, which I, which I will do periodically, or any people have done numbers of times, and you read the book of Acts, because Acts is like the fifth gospel in a way. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And it tells the growth of the church. You read a verse like these two, and you go, oh, yeah, yeah. They just kind of went. It's one of those ones that you just kind of scan past fairly quickly. You mark it in. You go, oh, you know, they were. Listen, the, the Bible says it with such modesty and simplicity that we're tempted to just kind of like pass by it thoughtlessly. But you realize what they're being told here. They're being forced to run for their lives. I mean, literally, they are attacked. Imagine if we were, that happened, uh, happened to us. I mean, they were literally attacked and nearly stoned to death, run out of town with rocks flying past their head and at their feet. I mean, this was, this was an, an exit with, with trouble, all right? They were being chased out of town by people, and I, and I, I kind of tried to imagine them being run, running back with rocks flying at them. Get out of here, and don't come back, right? It's like, wow, that's the intensity of it. We, we read it, and we go, oh, yeah, yeah. No, they were running for their lives. And then we get to what happens next. Because it says in verse 8 that they headed off. And again, you know, we see that they headed to another region. From Iconium, they head to Lystra. And they gathered an audience. You can see where Lystra is. It says that Paul and Barnabas came upon a man. And this man had crippled feet. Look what it says. Verse 8. And he had been that way from birth so that he had never walked. He was just sitting. And he was listening as Paul preached, looking straight at him. And Paul realized that he had faith to be healed. And so Paul called to him in a loud voice, stand up. And the man jumped to his feet, and it says here, he started walking. Now, evidently, 
Paul had this, had, and this is first recorded as happening to Paul when he was on Cyprus with the, in that whole interview with the Roman governor, when he had that confrontation with that false prophet, that, that spiritual advisor named Elimas, who called himself, you know, Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus, son of Savior. And Paul said to him, you are not, remember when that, that advisor tried to get in the way of Paul when he was talking to the Roman governor about the Lord and, and, the, and the advisor noticed that, that there wasn't actually an interest on the part of the governor towards what Paul was saying about how Messiah had come and what Jesus had done and how his life had been transformed and how he got in the way and tried to interrupt it. And there was this spiritual confrontation that we described. And by the end of it, it says that Paul felt compelled to speak to that man and, and the, like the Lord spoke through him and he said, you are, not, you are the son of the devil. He said, you've been deceiving and, and undermining. And then, he gets, and then by the time he was done, the, the man was struck with a, a, a temporary blindness. And that, that was the first recorded moment where something like that actually happened, this spiritual con, kind of movement. Well, the same thing, evidently, as Paul was preaching, there must have been this moment where he experiences what for him is, a, is a, a something that will become a, a, something he will begin to know more. But he begins to sense that there's a, a, the, the Lord is wanting to do something while he's talking. And part of the way he would do it is he would, he would give voice to what he felt the Spirit was saying. And I tried to, again, imagine what this was like. There's a group of people, a lot of disparate different types of people. He's gathered them around. They're listening to these two strangers talk about this new message of, of Jesus. And someone in the crowd were given a very vivid description of. Evidently, different people were listening to him in different ways. But there was no one listening with more intensity than a man who was there who had been crippled from birth. And as he was listening to the message, the Bible, and when the Bible says these phrases, it, it's telling us something. That I evidently imagine Paul's kind of scanning, scanning his audience. And the implication is that there was a moment, though, as he's scanning, that, that he sees a man who's listening in a very different way. And whether it was the body language of this man, but something in Paul felt compelled, because it's, it's almost like he sensed from the Lord, that this man believes at an even different level. And there was a real deep receptivity. And then Paul gave voice to what he was now beginning to recognize would happen at certain moments. He felt the Holy Spirit say to him to say to this man, and by faith he went with it. And he, as he looked at that man, and that man looked back at him, what the scripture says is he then yelled, it says he shouted at him, which again, stand up! Then, and, and then, without thinking it, the Bible says it, he just, he just gets up, and all of a sudden, he's walking around. I can walk. I can walk. And then, and then what we're told is something intense happens. Something, oh, by the way, Paul doesn't realize that what is about to happen after this moment will become one of the most terrifying moments of his entire life that out of this moment, this healing of this man who's now walking around and everybody's just unbelievably going, sort of like, what has happened here? That this moment will produce what for him will be something that will scar him both literally and figuratively to the end of his days. What we also know is that the people of Lystra were extraordinarily superstitious. They had a temple that had been built that Paul and Barnabas would have walked past. Stunning, beautiful. There was folklore, mythology attached to it that Hermes and Zeus themselves had come down once. 
There was a whole story attached to how it had been built and why it had been built. And, and this was part of what, what, what was their, you know, their sort of worldview. And you know, again, I want to try to imagine the scene because um, it, what happens next catches Paul and Barnabas so off guard. They could not have expected what happens. I mean, it, it literally, uh, it took them a little bit to just try to figure out the, the, the chaos, the euphoria that was breaking out. Because once that man started walking, we're told that all of a sudden, I mean, and again, we got to try to imagine the scene, but all of a sudden, it, it, the, the crowd just started yelling back and forth. And they started yelling back and forth at one another over Paul and Barnabas. And the man's walking around, and they're all yelling at each other. And then they're speaking. And see, now, Paul and Barnabas knew common Greek, which is kind of like our, how English is known over the world. But this was, they started speaking, the people did, in their local dialect, which was uh, a kind of Greek they would, did not understand. So they're, they're kind of like trying to figure out what, what's happened here. Everybody's yelling. All of a sudden, they see people peeling off, running for the, the temple. Oh, there's this movement everywhere, yelling back and forth. They're hearing things like Zeus, and they're hearing these, and they don't know what's happening. That's the picture, right? That's what's going on. Look what it says in verse 11. It says, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, these men are gods in human form. And then it says they decided Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and that Paul was Hermes. So he was the chief speaker. In other words, Barnabas was older and didn't say a lot, so he was Zeus. <laughs> Paul was younger and said a whole lot. He was Hermes, the spokesman. And so in their mind, they had, they had figured this is what's happening. And again, what, what Paul and Barnabas didn't know is it was attached to part of the, the temple worship that in the past, Zeus and, and Hermes had come, and they had not been received. And now, but they, the, part of the mythology was they would come again. And this time, they didn't want to make the mistake that their previous generations had made. And so all this is going on. They're having these yell, there's excitement everywhere. Somebody runs, it says. In the temple, it says the temple of Zeus was located just outside of the town. So part of what was happening is a group of people started running to the temple. All of a sudden, the priest out of the temple and the crowd brought bulls and wreaths of flowers to the town gates as they prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. And I want you to see, this would have been like filled with colors. All right? You're seeing all this movement, all this motion. Everybody's talking. Everybody's yelling. There's all this stuff happening around them. Next thing they see is this entourage of the high priest coming. There's flowers and colors and wreaths and bulls that are being brought. Those bulls, they're going to sacrifice those bulls right in front of them. It's going to be like this massive spiritual kind of worship moment. And what happens is Paul and Barnabas are trying to figure out what is going on. I mean, it went from this moment where Paul just responded to what he felt was a prompting of the Lord, and a man was healed in their, in their midst. And then all of a sudden, everything had broken out. When that happens, when Paul and Barnabas, it says in verse 14, heard what was happening, they did, what, they did something that would have been part of their tradition. Ancient practice of the Jewish people was that when something was blasphemy, something that was attributed falsely to God that would injure in some way the understanding of who he was, the tradition of their culture was they would rend their clothes and so all of a sudden, as Barnabas and Saul are, uh, Paul are figuring out what's happening, it dawns on them, they think we're gods. They think we're gods. They're going to sacrifice to us. And so they, the picture is that they, they tear their clothes and they run out and they, they said, look what it says, it says they said. It says that they heard what was happening. They tore their clothes in dismay. And they ran out among the people shouting, shouting, friends, friends, wh wh why are you doing this? We are, look, we are merely human beings. 
We're, this is, and this is a great description. Just, we're just like you. We're just like you. We're just human beings. We've come to bring the good news. You should turn away from these, these vain things, these worthless things, and turn to the living God. The, the God who made everything. Paul's trying to get their attention. He said, no, 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 no. We're just human. We're not gods. We're just trying to talk about the one who is God. He says, the one who's made everything. He made heaven. He made the earth. He made the sea. He made everything that's in them. In the past, he permitted the nations to kind of go their own ways. There was this kind of season of ignorance, but he never left them without evidence of himself, which is a fascinating statement. He says, if you look around you, even nature testifies to God's presence. There's always been something that is designed to open up our heart to God. He says, look, he says, you've never left him without evidence of himself and of his goodness. For instance, Paul says, he sends, he sends you rain and good crops and, and gives you food and in your heart the ability to enjoy a joyful heart. He says, but even, it says, even with these words, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain them from sacrificing to them. Even after he's trying to say, don't know, we're just human beings. They say, no, you're gods, you know? And now, what happens next? That's next week, all right? <laughs> You can, of course, go around me and read it, read it for yourselves. But I'm going to stop there. That's where we're going to finish. Because uh, now I want to, I so where we finish is basically they're all trying to make, they're trying to sacrifice them as gods. Now, and, and Paul and Barnabas are going, that's not who we are. We're just messengers of the one true living God. Now, what is that for you and me? That's the account. I was thinking about this. And it really, made, it really touched me. I'm going to just kind of, and I, you know how I like to do it. I like to put out simple, sort of, simple, some statements out there. For, but they, they are designed to create um, introspection, discussion, reflection, pondering, prayer. Um, we sit with them. Something connects with our own heart. We look at it. It's far more than just a statement. It, has something, it invites us into an internal conversation with God around the issue and with others. And so the first thing I want to say is notice this, that the Christian message at its center this is so important, is a message that's connected to grace. We talk about this amazing grace. Almost everybody's heard that song, How Sweet the Sound Saved the Older, the old one, the guy wrote it. He'd been a former slaver. He said, a wretch like me. John Newton once was lost. Now I'm found, was blind. Now I see. You know, that, that's, that's powerful. It's a testimony to God's love that extends to us when we don't deserve it. That's the essence of grace, by the way a love that is given undeserved. It's a gift. It's the word that's always, Paul would always use that word with Jesus. He would say, Jesus Christ, God's gift to us. You realize that at one, that was the message he would preach. It's the same message that Billy Graham has preached for generations. The message of the cross and the Savior who went there for us to give his life for us so that we might have life through him. It's not about, I think we understand this, about how good we are. That's the whole point of it. But it's about his good towards us. It's not about what, what he really um, wants us to do as much as what he has done and wants us to become as we open ourselves up to what he has done. Here's the deal. It's a gift. You can't earn a gift. We talk about that. You know, when you get something because you've earned it, that's called compensation. That's not what the gift of Christ. So, so you say, well, you're saying we don't have to be good people? Because some people say, well, I thought if I'm just certain, if I'm good, then I'll make it, then I'm, I'm okay with God. Me and God were close because I'm, I'm a good person. It's good to be good, whatever good is. 
But in the end of the day, it's not about us meeting a standard of goodness that somehow now I'm in. Because if that was the case, see, later on Paul would write. And again, remember, he was a man who had in his past, remember I said this? He hated Jesus. Intellectual, powerful, very young and very brash and confident. He was smarter than most people. He knew things that they didn't know. He was meticulous in his commitment to his religion. He said, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I've been trained by the best. I keep the law. None, none keep it more than I, he said. He was proud of his pedigree, could quote it, right? I'm a tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day. He knew it. He knew who he was. And he had a way of saying he was very self-righteous. And when God got him on the road to Damascus, I said God crushed him. Because what the Lord did is he turned his world upside down. And when Jesus revealed himself to Paul, Saul at the time, right, the proud Pharisee caved in. He got captured. He said, he captured me with his love. And then he called me. He said, and he began to teach me. You've got to remember what a paradigm shift it was for him. He went from someone who believed that you, you kept the law and therefore earned your place to someone then who began to realize, if that's the case, then I'm forever lost because no one's been worse than me. I've, I, I literally put to death and persecuted the very people who love Jesus, the one whom I now proclaim. If God can use someone like me, then is there anyone beyond his reach? No, I tell you, it is about the grace of God. Later on, he would write, I am a trophy of his grace. I'm a testimony. I'm a living testimony of the goodness and the grace of God that no one is beyond his touch. He called it a gift that you could never earn. He would later say, for by grace are you saved through faith in his letter to the Ephesians. That, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not of works. Lest anyone should boast and say, I am good enough for God. He says, there's no one good enough for that. Only God. And that is what he has done for us. He did for us what none of us could ever do. He who was perfect gave himself away as the ultimate sacrifice so that you and I might have. And I always think of the cross as a bridge. A bridge to God through Christ. That's the, he would preach this message wherever he went. There is in him the forgiveness of sins. He would talk about it. But you know, you know what Paul learned to do? He learned, even though he never stopped being intense, he never stopped being, in his case, a professional man. He, that was his training. But you know what? He, he, over, he said, I don't, those things don't matter to me. What matters to me is I am loved by God and I've been called by Christ. You know what he, you know what he shows us? He shows us that he had learned to live as one loved. And, I, and, I, I want, and you know, learning to live as one loved by God is no small thing. It's not about earning his love. It's about receiving it. And then, you know what I, I feel? And he would say this himself. He would say, so because he loved me, I want to give, and because he saved me, I in turn want to give him back my life. How can I repay you, Lord? the debt that I could not pay. I will give you myself. And then he would say in, to the people in Galatians, he would say, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives within me. In the life that I now live in this fleshly body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That was the gospel. Powerful. And I think it's about, again, remembering, this is not about earning our way in. 
It's about receiving the gift of God's love in Christ Jesus and then seeking to live a life that honors him. Yes, goodness is part of that. Why should we not contend for that at every level of our lives to grow and become more of what he wants us to be? By this shall all the people know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Let your light so shine before people that they may see your good works. Glorify your Father who is in heaven. I mean, this is the message. But this is a result of what he's done, not to get his love, but because he's loved us. That's a very different message. Then that leads to the second piece, which is this. Hear me out. Number two, it is impossible, and I mean it is impossible, to put God into a box. He will not be formulized. Every time we think we contain him, he breaks out. Here, when I hear, you know what got me? I was looking at this, and I'm going, Lord, I don't get you. Because, because on one hand, you know, and I'm going to talk about this in, in, some, in the months later on, but, but, you know, on the one hand, think about it. The, the Lord uses Paul, gives him this power to heal this crippled man. And that's a, it's a miracle, right? It's, well, where did that, how does that happen? God, you can do that. Okay, I, okay. but then the very next thing I'm reading about, you know, he, he's, being, he, he's being chased out of town. He, these guys are, each town they go to, they're being run out of town. Why aren't you protecting your guys, Lord? Like, put a force field around them or something. <laughs> what is going on here? It's so human. It's so real. It's not, it's, not like, uh, it's not like a comic book. It's not like a superhero. This is, like, this is very real. It's like saying God shows up in amazing ways, and there's other times where God doesn't show up. And, and, we're, and primarily, most of the time, I mean, Paul got accustomed to the fact that there would be moments where God would show up in stunning ways, but there were a lot of times where he suffered intensely. And he says, you know, I've learned to be content. I've learned to stop questioning the one who gave everything for me. I'm, I've settled the question on his goodness. That's done. I already get that. But I don't understand how everything works all the time. He says, well, one thing I know, if I'm crushed and been, been abased, God's okay. I'm, I can walk with him there. He was crushed for me. He has things to teach me in this humble place. If he exalts me above but what I deserve to be exalted for and gives me a temporary point of, of you know, acknowledgement in the eyes of people, then I've learned to be blessed as well, but not let it go to my head. Everywhere I've learned to be highly adaptable, I live in Christ. It's a very powerful mode of living. I was thinking even about the way the Lord delivers in our growth. Sit with me on this one, or at least think about it. There are times where God shows up in people's lives, and I was sharing this last night, and it's absolutely miraculous. It's almost like he, it's as if he said to us, stand up. And it was, it's like a, in our lives, a miracle deliverance. Certain things that were just sitting on our lives all of a sudden in Christ Jesus when we open up our heart, it's like a miracle. I meet people all the time. They go, you wouldn't know what, what God's done in my life. And I go, wow. Okay. I go, oh, but a lot of times, it's not the miracle. It's, 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 it's the, other, the other way we grow is like running out of town with rocks flying by us. <laughs> and it's like I'm learning to trust you even as I'm running for my life. And that happens more times than the other. And you know what that tells me? A lot of us, the way God grows us, is through ups and downs and the nicks and bruises of life. And we learn to trust him. We learn to get past things. We learn to get healed up. We start learning how to apply the principles of God's word. How shall a young man, you know, cleanse his way by taking heed to your word? Is your, not, is your word not, not like a, a hammer that breaks the hardest places into pieces, the rock into pieces? Your word is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. You will show me the way that I should go. 
All these principles. You bring, you, God reminds us, bring other people. There are some things that will not be healed immediately. The way they're going to be healed, we've been talking about it, is through other people he brings into our lives. We start to learn how to grow past things. Sometimes we may even have ups and downs and failures, and this is okay. You know why? Here's number three. This is why. It's what Paul acknowledged as well. Because we are, this is not going to be news to anyone, but it's worth remembering, we are not gods. We're just human beings in need of a savior. I go back to that moment where Paul says, whoa, 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 stop, stop, no, no, no. We're just human beings, that's all. We could be, we're a human being. We're, no, we're not gods. That's not who we are. We're just human beings. We know God, but we're just people. People, and you know when you're a human, you can be broken. We all can be. Even the strongest, and who can really say, all of us, if the right buttons are pushed and the right things happen, we are far more fragile than we will ever know. Don't, we should never delude ourselves. I am in control. I'm so smart. No, we're not. We're not that smart. I'll tell you right now, the fool has said in his heart, hear me out, this is what God's word says. The fool has said in his heart, in her heart, his heart, there is no God. The Lord reminds us that he is present, he is near, he is not far. And he also reminds us that we are fragile, and that means we can be broken and we can be hurt, and we both can be hurt and we do hurt. I, I, I am hurtable and I hurt others. That happens. You know, there are times where we struggle, we question, we, we are filled with contradictions, we doubt, we yearn. I mean, this is the fact is that we're not God. We, we're, we're a human being. We, I, I, we're, any, anybody who starts following Jesus long enough begins to realize that, you know what, this is harder actually than it seems sometimes. It's like, God, you're calling me on this. It's like this attitude I, I feel okay about a long time ago, maybe before I knew you, but now all of a sudden it's like you're saying to me, you can't do that. You got to change your heart. I mean, I got to forgive. I don't want to. Because you got to get free. And free is in me the way that I lived it out. And so you need me to help you do this. I can help you do this. I want to call you to places of growth and breakthrough. What was my original point there was that a lot of times it's a process of growth in that number two piece. It takes time. It's learning. It's learning how to trust him. But again, I think a lot of times we sequester off ourselves because we have been hurt. And so a lot of times we... We say, Lord, you know, I'm not going to be hurt again. But God, he's, he wants to teach us to be fully alive human beings who, live, who give blessing and life and who can take the wounds of our past and begin to see them as scars that God's healed by his grace. We begin to send forth blessing. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I'll dwell in your house forever, O oh Lord. We begin to live as one love. Do you see it? That's what happened with Paul. That's what God wants to do in all of us. It's called the grace of God. We gotta pay attention to our soul. Not all success is success if it leads us away from him. And not all loss is loss if it brings us to him. Gain the whole world, lose your own soul. He said, what does it really matter? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor, your brother, as yourself. So fulfill the law. How good that is. Lord, we need, his, we need your grace. You know, as we, as we settle into this, we've intentionally picked a song to close with that connects to this idea of us needing God's grace. 
and how God at times wants to make us alive in his grace. And so, you know, when we share it, if there are things in our own lives we're saying, Lord, I just really welcome your grace. There's going to come a spot in that song where it's going to, it's going to hit into a moment where it's just like an earnest prayer. And when we get there, just say, Lord, are there things that you're trying to work into me? And are there things that you're trying to work out of me? I need to be open to that. I welcome your grace over my life. I welcome it even now. So let me go ahead and pray. We'll have our time of giving and our closing song. Lord, I, I thank you. I love you. I love looking at your words, Lord. I love learning them. I love, love the life that you have for us in them. I pray that we would be responsive, that we would grow, and that it would, that would affect our relationships, that it would show up, Lord, in not only inside of our own heart, but that it would overflow into our critical relationships, both in our home life. And we're not perfect again. We're human beings. We're not God. But that it would show up even in the workplace, the way in which we conduct ourselves, wrestle with things, get past our doubts, trust you in the difficult places, all these things. Help us, Lord. Be near to us. Be very near. Let your grace be the gift to us that it was meant to be. Your love never earned, only received. Ask for your blessing. Bless our time of giving. Bless the song. Let me close with, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.